Good morning, everybody. Great to have you with us uh, this morning, whether you're here in Northville with me, whether you're there at our Farmington Hills campus, or whether you're watching online from places near and far. Glad you're here. Whether you're new to War Church or have been here a long time, I want you to know a couple of things. Uh, first of all, God loves you, and I love you too. Last week, we talked a bit about the mission of Ward Church, leading generations to live and love like Jesus. Eight words that describe the purpose, the purpose, the very reason this church, Ward Church, exists. Now, every church has a mission statement, and the way that particular church carries out its mission statement will depend upon its values. Now, every church that follows Jesus has similar values, of course, we're all following the same guy. Every church in the world that follows Jesus can have similar values, and yet each church is unique. Each church has its own unique strengths and its own unique personality and history and location. And so the values will be nuanced for that particular local church and its expression. Our facilitator in our mission, vision, mission values process uh, a few years ago uh, told us, don't list in your value statement things that every church would say. And don't confuse your statement of faith with your list of values. He told us, don't put in your list of values things like Jesus and the Bible. Now, obviously, Jesus and the Bible are of paramount importance, and every church needs a clearly articulated statement about what it believes about Jesus and the Bible, and those statements go in your statement of faith. Your values uh, tell people what is unique about a particular church. So we looked at the history of our church and uh, met with members and attendees. And in order to, to hit the list of uh, values that we were going to identify, it had to meet three requirements. It had to be rooted in the history of our church. We're looking back over 67 years as a congregation together. It had to be present in the membership of the church right now. Uh, we weren't looking for aspired or hoped-for values. We were trying to draw out what the values already are in our membership, and it had to be desired for the future. So if there was a value in the past and the present that wasn't desired for the future, that value didn't make the list. And we had multiple uh, meetings where people wrote on sticky notes words that might communicate what they believe our church values. And they put these sticky notes up on the board. And there were hundreds of different words used to express what people felt were our values that drawn from the scriptures. And uh, uh, our leaders were able to coalesce the list, uh, look at the overlapping themes, and identify five big values rooted in our history, present in our membership, and desired for our future. Uh, similar to what other churches might say, but also we think distinctives of this particular uh, location of God's church. And uh, this is what we're going to talk about today. And I'll be assisted today by uh, Assistant Pastor Terrence Gray and Adult uh, uh, Ministries, a, a Young Adult Director, Jenny Neighbor, and they're going to help me as we go through these five values. And I think you'll find these five big values are really helpful in identifying a church's priorities, in helping a church make decisions, uh, and helping a church be guided on what to do as a body, as a, as a church. But you're also going to find these values are very helpful to any individual who wants to live in love like Jesus. Each church value has a corresponding measure, and that statement is what that value would look like if it were lived out in the life of a person. 
of an individual. And you're going to see this list can be used as a spiritual discipline to help drive uh, spiritual growth for you. So let's get started. Let me invite Terrence and Jenny forward to join me here. And uh, we're off with our very first value. And Terrence is going to lead us in that. Three preachers up here. And so we're going to work to get you out of here by at least halftime for the Lions game <laughs> this afternoon. We're going to try. So I have the privilege of talking about global reach. Let's look at global reach. We share God's heart for all nations, including the nations in our own neighborhoods. The work of justice and mercy starts here at home, but extends near and far. We desire to be people through whom God will bless all nations. All of these values start with the heart of God. And global reach definitely is a value that begins with God's heart for the nations. If you want to understand God's heart for the nations, look no further than the first book of the Bible in Genesis. The Lord says this to a man named Abram. He says, go from your country, from your country, your people. That means leaving your comfort and your father's household to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. From the beginning of time, God has had it on his heart to get a blessing to the nations, to extend the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. That wasn't a backup plan. That was the original plan. God created all of the nations, and he has it on his heart to reach all of the nations. Global reach begins with a global God who loves all nations. The work that we do begins with aligning ourselves with the heart of God. So what does that look like for us here at War Church? That means that we, we go across the street and we go across the hallway and we go across the city and suburban line. We go across Eight Mile Road because we follow a God who went from heaven to earth and died on a cross for us. And we decided years ago that global reach would look like this for us. It says that I, as a member of War Church, I cross barriers, racial, cultural, social, economic, to bless people near and far. That means we go across those barriers. That means we don't just watch from across the street. That means we actually go across the street. We don't just watch on the news at what's happening we go to those places to be a life-giving presence. And we've been able to do some of that here at War Church by God's grace. We've been able to follow that global God into the city as we serve the nations that exist and the different people that exist here in Detroit Metro. It looks like us sending a group of teenagers to Mexico, which you helped do this last year, because we want to expose people to the global mission of God at a young age. And so that's what it means to be a member of War Church. We, we follow our God and his global cause, and we cross barriers. But how many people know that crossing barriers is not easy? A barrier is, well, a barrier. It's a structure that is put up to defend. Sometimes barriers were put in place long before you and I were born 
Maybe there are barriers in place that you and I didn't even build. Maybe those barriers are invisible and we can't even see them, but God still calls us to cross those barriers. Let's look at a definition of the word barrier. A barrier is a fence or other obstacle that prevents movement or access, a natural formation or structure that prevents or hinders movement or action. It can be difficult sometimes to cross barriers. So we don't want to make it sound easy, but we want to encourage you and share a few ways that maybe God can use you to cross barriers. Number one is to pray. Pray for the Spirit of God to move ahead of you as you enter into that conversation, as you take that bold step of faith to do something different or talk to someone different. Pray for the Lord to give you favor. Next, across barriers, we actually have to get some proximity to people. Distance creates distortion. The less experiences I have for you, the less empathy I'm likely to have. But if I have some proximity to you, if I know your story, if I know your contributions, if I know your challenges, I'm more likely to be able to love you in a way that means something to you. So we gain proximity. And next, it takes patience. We can't just show up and expect people to like us or be glad that we're here. Sometimes it takes time for people to trust you and to let down their guard and for you to let down your guard. And it takes some humility and teachability to learn as we cross barriers. So at War Church, we want to get better at that. We started a ministry called Revelation 7-9 Fellowship. And this year, we just heard from different voices and crossed barriers and allow people to speak into our lives. We got to hear from Raymond Randolph Jr. He spoke to a class at Revelation 7-9 Fellowship. He's a civil rights activist who's also a member of Ward Church, and he is an absolute jewel to this community. He was trained in some ways by Martin Luther King Jr. himself back in the day. Absolute blessing to us. He came and shared with us this year for Revelation 7-9 Fellowship. We took a group to the Charles Wright Museum for MLK Weekend. We're doing that again. If you want to go to that trip with us uh, in January, uh, let me know. Uh, that's us on the bus, all happy, riding down, to, uh, uh, riding down to Detroit. But we want to cross those barriers, and we want to get better at crossing those barriers because it's, it's, it's not always easy. But that's what it means to be a member of Ward Church, is that I cross barriers. And that's global reach, and that's that value. So. Yeah, I've gotten uh, the privilege of being a part of Revelation 7-9 over this last year, and I cannot recommend that enough if you're interested in being a part of that group and joining us in the work that we're doing. Our next value this morning is audacious generosity. Let's look and see what it has to say. We share time, talent, and treasure for the glory of God and for the good of neighbor. We live with open hands, realizing that everything belongs to God. We excel in the grace of giving. So it says we share time, talent, and treasure. If you've been around church long enough, you've ever heard anything about what it means to serve or volunteer or give, you've probably heard us use these words time, talent, and treasure. It's how we think about generosity. It's how we can live out this value of audacious generosity. So let's quickly define these three categories. Our first is time. This is probably our most self-explanatory, as it's the literal time that you've been given each day, each week, each month. And so when you volunteer to serve or you pray for a neighbor or you help someone else, you are being generous. You're literally giving up your time. 
And then we have our talent. Our talent is our abilities, the things that are unique to us that God has given us. Here at Ward, we use what we call the shape test to help understand what our talent is. The shape test includes our spiritual gifts, our heart, which really is the things that we care about, the things we're passionate about, our um, abilities, our literal skills that we have, our personality, and then lastly, our experience. And we believe that these things together all give us a better picture of the unique ways that God has wired you and designed you. Because we each believe that you have been uniquely wired and designed with a purpose, and you get to use those talents to be able to serve others and to glorify God. And then lastly, we have our treasure. This is our physical things, the tangible resources that we have in our lives, maybe money or possessions, all things that we can give to others. And so to live in audacious generosity is to be open-handed with our time, our talent, and our treasure. We're going to look at two verses quickly to get an idea of what scripture says about generosity. The first comes from 2 Corinthians, as it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul reminds us here of the posture with which we approach generosity. So we don't give because we have to or because we think we're going to earn something. I think that's often a misconception when we think about what it means to be generous, is that we think we do it because we have to. But really, he's saying here we do it with a cheerful heart. We do it because we get to. See, we give gratitude for the time that God has given us here on earth, for the talent that he's equipped us with, and for the treasures that he's provided us with. And out of that gratitude, we then offer it back to God. We come as cheerful givers. Let's look at First Peter and what it has to say. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So your generosity is ultimately about bringing praise and glory back to God, and to bring good to others. And this reminds us again that we have been given these things from God. All of these things are gifts that we then get to give to others. So we live with open hands. So what does it mean then to be generous? Well, let's look at the measure. It says, I am generous with my money, abilities, and time within and beyond the church. Once again, time, talent, and treasure. So I want to challenge you this week to take time to think about each one of these categories and just assess yourself with each one. Where are you being generous with your time or your talent or your treasure? Give thanks to God for those things and ask him if there's an area you may want to be stretched in, maybe an area where he's calling you to grow. For example, maybe it's time today. You take an hour at the end of today to talk to your neighbor or call a friend who is in need. Maybe it's your talent. Is there something that you are passionate about, some skill that you have that you could give back to the church? You can stop at our volunteer pit stop, pit stop today after service or sign up to trim trees if that's your passion. And lastly, use your treasure. Give as God calls you to those in need and to the church and ultimately do all of these things 
right, with a cheerful heart, knowing that God has provided for us, that he will continue to provide for us, and that we get to be a blessing to others. All right, the next value is thoughtful theology. Thoughtful theology, and here's how we express this one. We love God with our minds as well as our hearts. We welcome tough questions and avoid simplistic answers. We seek to understand and apply the scriptures to all areas of life. 2 Timothy 3.16, this is the verse that says, All scripture is God-breathed. I've always loved the way the scripture expresses that. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. So our theology comes from the Bible, is to be applied to all of life, and we welcome honest exploration. That word theology comes from two words, theos, meaning God, and logos, which is word or even thoughts. So theology is words about God, thoughts about God, maybe even God's thoughts. And so theology belongs to everybody. It's not just for theologians or for seminarians or for church pastors. Who wouldn't want to explore the thoughts of God? It's for everybody. And so we want to train up disciples who are thoughtful people, who are thinkers, who love God with their minds as well as their hearts. What does it mean to love God with our minds? Well, that phrase comes from Jesus himself. You remember the very famous passage where someone asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And this was his response. Let's look at it again from uh, Mark's gospel. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now again, Jesus is not being completely original here. He is quoting from the Old Testament as he often did. And I want you to see the line that Jesus is quoting from its original place in Deuteronomy. This is what Jesus was quoting. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. In in Hebrew, that's Shema. And sometimes this whole verse would be summarized as the Shema. This is the Shema that people would memorize. Hear, O Israel. Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Did you notice what Jesus added to this Old Testament verse? I should have done a side-by-side parallel comparison. What did he add? Mind, mind. The Shema says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus added the mind. Now, some scholars say this is not a big deal. The Shema basically says, love God with everything you've got. And Jesus basically said, love God with everything you've got. Other scholars say, no, this is a big deal. You don't change the Shema. Everyone had this memorized from childhood. This is like somebody changing the Pledge of Allegiance. No one's got authority to do that. He added to the Shema. What did Jesus mean by adding that in? Now, we also know contextually, Jesus, when he was answering this question, he was talking to a young teacher of the law, a scholar. And I think it's quite plausible, knowing Jesus as we do, that he added this line just for this guy. 
as if to say, listen, smart guy. Love the Lord with that beautiful mind that God has given to you. Now, your mind doesn't need to be a detriment. It can bring you right to God. We love God with our minds. Now, it can't only be our minds. We love God with everything we've got. But you don't need to check your mind at the door when you begin to follow Jesus. We don't say to people, stop thinking when you come to faith. We want to say, think more. Think deeper. Think. And ultimately, our goal, of course, is not just to think about the Scriptures. Our goal is to apply the Scriptures, which is why we express the measure this way. I am applying the lessons God is teaching me through the Scriptures. I'm not just thinking about them. I am thinking, I'm reflecting, but I'm living them. I'm applying the lessons that God is teaching me through his Scriptures. That is true, thoughtful theology. Let's keep going. This value here at Ward is healthy families. I want to take a look at that one. It says that we support the family as God's primary plan for nurture and discipleship. The family was created by God to be a reflection of his character and the vehicle of his grace. We invest in marriages, parents, grandparents, kids, and students. We minister to those who know the pain of a broken family. We are a family to each other. The family is important. The family is the primary institution that God uses to shape us. Nothing shapes us quite like family. Nothing shapes our personality, our belief systems, our identity quite like family. So the family is important to God and he uses it as his primary vehicle to shape us. I want to go back to that passage that Pastor Scott read earlier, the Shema. And in that, in that time, God was speaking to families telling them to pass down the legacy of faith from one generation to the next as he recites this to them. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. He continues, hear this. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down. And when you get up, God knows you have a busy schedule. So he's saying, talk about me as you go. As you go about the various plans of your day, take me with you. Make me a part of your life. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God is saying, pass down this legacy of faith to the next generation and use your time that you have with your children to nurture them and teach them about who I am. The family is an important institution that God wants to use to pass down the legacy of faith. Some might be asking, well, why is the family so important? Can't family be messy sometimes? Oh, gossipy and stuff sometimes. Family gets on your nerves sometimes. You know you're thinking it, right? Family, sometimes we can say, man, family? Yes, God says the family, even if it's broken, God can use it. God has not given up on the family, and God has not given up on your family. He can still use your family to pass down the legacy of faith to the next generation. Here's what we know. Through the messiness, failure, 
and broken promises, the family is still the primary institution that God uses to pass down the legacy of faith. I want to say that one more time for someone who may be having a hard time believing that this morning. Through the messiness, the failure, and broken promises, the family is still the primary institution that God uses to pass down the legacy of faith. God has not given up on the family. He has not given up on your family. I want to look at an interesting stat. 83% of Christians make their faith commitment to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. People call that the 4 to 14 window. That's an important window, an opportunity to invest in the next generation. We don't waste those years. As a church, we want to come alongside parents in those years. As parents, we want to steward those years well. Those are important years for us to nurture the faith of the next generation. But if we're being honest, it isn't always easy to pass along that legacy of faith to the next generation. Families are in a fight. We have, we're up against a lot. We're dealing with financial strain, marital strain, health issues, you name it. There are a lot of things, a busy schedule, all of the activities. How are we, how are we to do this? And the strategy that we employ here at Ward is called the Orange Strategy. And we simply believe that two influences are better than one. The yellow represents the church, which is the light of the world. And the red represents the family, which is the heart. And when the church and the family work together strategically, we believe that we can work together to pass along that legacy of faith to the next generation, to be faithful to do what God has called us to do. We truly believe that those two influences are better than one. So practically, what does that look like? Number one, just want to encourage you to widen your circle. You can't do it alone. You weren't meant to do it alone. When God was giving the Shema and speaking to Israel, he was speaking to the village. How many people have heard the adage, it takes a village to raise a child, right? And so widen your circle. Bring other people along with you. Allow someone else to mentor or invest in your kid, someone that you can trust. Allow, allow others to pour into them as well. And then likewise, return the favor. Uh, show up for somebody else's kid and somebody else's family. Volunteer maybe with our children's or nursery or watch somebody's kid on a Friday night so they can get, go on a date. I'm telling you, that's a big deal, especially when you have little ones. So we can be a blessing to families that way as we widen our circle. Invest in a kid. Uh, empower a kid. Give a kid something to do or her. Somebody say, a kid won't feel important until you give them something important to do. That's why I love to see our kids operating the cameras and operating back there with the sound and audio and video ministry and serving in various capacities. You build a kid up and help them to see themselves as a part of God's mission as you give them something to do. And so we widen our circles, we invest in the next generation, and we empower the next generation. And that's how we hope to build healthy families together. All right, our final value today is extra mile hospitality. I don't know about you, the first time I ever heard extra mile hospitality as our value, I thought immediately of our guest services team. 
Maybe greeters come to mind, or we have an awesome shuttle team. I think of Gail, who sits at the sanctuary door, welcomes me in each morning on Sundays. It's really easy to think about Extra Mile Hospitality as our guest services team. And while they are a crucial part of what we do here on Sunday mornings for Extra Mile Hospitality, it's just a small part of what we can do all week. Let's look at the value. As it reads, we welcome everyone as an honored guest taking our role as hosts seriously. We go the extra mile to let our guests know that they are not just welcome, but wanted. But here's the rest of the week part. The hospitality is not just for the first time visitors on Sunday morning, but permeates all relationships and extends beyond our walls. Extra mile hospitality can start with a smile, but it goes so much further as it can come out in every day of our week. We welcome people as honored guests, and I love how it says we make sure that they don't just feel welcomed, but they feel wanted. And as I reflected on this value and what it means, it's reminded me of the three Bs that we use in family ministries. Our goal in family ministries is to create a lasting faith through all the people that we disciple, from infant up to young adults, and we believe that happens when people belong, believe, and become. They belong to the church family, to God's kingdom. They believe as they get to engage with scripture and they become as they have real experiences of what it means to live and love like Jesus today. We use these three B's to shape everything that we do from our programs to the ways that we approach our ministry. And I think of extra mile hospitality as really belonging. It's belonging to the kingdom of God and it's bringing other people into that kingdom. It's coming alongside others so they don't just feel welcomed but they also feel wanted. It starts with a smile but it ends as we welcome people to the table of God's kingdom. So what does it look like to live that out? Well, I think it's belonging and knowing, and here's why. We see it in Romans 15, 7, as it says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So extra mile hospitality is really accepting others as Christ has accepted you. Because we think about it, Jesus has modeled for us the greatest hospitality we could ever receive. As he's pursued us, accepted us, loved us at our worst, and welcomed us in as sons and daughters, co-heirs of Christ. That is extra mile hospitality. And it's now our gift and our pleasure in this life to be able to extend that hospitality now to everyone that we come across starts in here, but it's not just in here. It's in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. It's everyone that we meet. We get to extend the same hospitality that Christ has given to us. And so I want to challenge you this fall as our church is focusing on the theme of connection to really live out this value of extra mile hospitality. Get to know the people around you in pews. I sit by the same people every single Sunday. And so my current challenge for myself now is to reach out and to say good morning, to get to know them. I would encourage you to know the people that you worship with, to know the people that you live next to. And my biggest challenge for you is to host a small group this fall. If you're not ready to host, get connected to a small group this fall. But for those of you who are ready to host, which 
I imagine is more of you than you think. There's a host briefing right after service today. It's in the connection, it's in the conference center. And Sarah's gonna talk to you about what it means to be a small group host. You're gonna get a picture of what it really takes. And it's easier than you think. She's gonna help you come along the way. And that is a great way to practice out our measure, which is that I welcome people in my church, in my home. What a great way. Start a small group. Welcome in your friends, your family, the people who sit next to you in your pews. Welcome in your neighbors or your coworkers. Take a chance to connect with others and extend the hospitality that Christ has given to us. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Terrence. Five big values for our church. Five measures for any individual seeking to live and love like Jesus. And I want you to see how these measures could be used in your own spiritual formation process. Um, for example, let's look at some of those measures again. Uh, I cross barriers, racial, cultural, social, economic, to bless people near and far. Uh, you could do the spiritual self-discipline of, of self-examination, the spiritual discipline of self-examination. Ask yourself, how true is that statement of me? If you're a numbers person, you might even assign yourself a grade, one through ten. How true is that statement of me? And you go through each one. I'm generous with my money, abilities, and time within and beyond the church, and so on and so on. And you use this as an opportunity for self-examination and to make some plans for your own spiritual formation. This is designed not to produce guilt, but to be used to inspire. Because we are a family, and we are all in this together. Will you pray with me now? God, thank you that we are a part of the one historic and global church of Jesus Christ. May we fulfill the tasks you have given to the entire global church and those tasks you have given to this one local expression of your church called Ward Church. Grow us as individual disciples of Jesus Christ and grow us as a community of faith. Work in us and through us, we pray, in Jesus' name, and the whole church said together, amen, amen.